And a lot of diversity is unseen. So we talked at the top about diversity is simply about differences, those that you see and those that you don't see. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, where you will hear the inspirational stories of some of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Sonia Lennon, and today I will be in conversation with Christine Barrett of Microsoft and Olivia McAvoy from EY about diversity and inclusion in business, in the workplace and in life. Olivia McAvoy and Christine Barrett, you are so welcome to Architects of Business. Olivia, you are Director of Diversity and Inclusion Client Facing in EY. So you sell diversity and inclusion as a product. Exactly. I mean, I always say I have the great privilege of leading EY's diversity and inclusion advisory program. So, yeah, we work with clients to achieve their client, their ambitions on diversity and inclusion, work with them on their programs. That could be over a very, very long period, maybe six to 12 months if they're implementing a DNI strategy, or it could be simply for half a day if we're delivering inclusive leadership training. So all days are very different. Um, all clients are very different. I always say diversity and inclusion work is sector agnostic. You could be working in any sector, any size of organisation. And it is an untold privilege to be working with clients who really want to make positive, meaningful change in this area. And have you seen an explosion in the demand for your services? I would say explosion is probably a very strong word. I mean, I think I'm in the role. That's my optimism yes, coming exactly. into play now. <laughs> and I wish you were right. I absolutely wish you were right. Um, I'll be in the role three years in September. Okay. And I would say, you know, at the very beginning, we ha we built the service, but we also had to build the market a little bit um, and educate that market. And it's a relatively immature market in Ireland. We actually, you know, we apply the results of our study to a maturity model and over half of the organisations would fall into what we might kindly call the starting blocks. We are in the starting blocks as a nation. Um, but at the same time, there are lots of organisations doing really, really good work um, and making that progressive change. But I think there's everything from people at the very start, people knowing they even need to start and haven't done that yet, kind of people doing really excellent work and probably, you know, making that progressive change and everything in the middle. Christine, your role in Microsoft is in sales, um, but you also head up diversity and inclusion. So, as you said, I head up Inside Sales for the UK, I'm based here in Dublin, um, and my passion is diversity and inclusion. So I am the exec sponsor for diversity and inclusion in Inside Sales. Inside Sales was started just over two and a half years ago, and we went from zero to 750 people. Um, so clearly diversity and inclusion is very important as part of that. We have 45 or 35 languages. We've got numerous um, nationalities. In fact, in Microsoft, we've over 72 nationalities. Um, so you can imagine cultural diversity is absolutely huge in everything we do from gender to culture. Um, so people coming from every different nationality, as I said, to accessibility to LGBT um, and everything in between. So we cover everything. So, so let's just do, um, for your granny, mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion. So you are on your beautiful cam campus with 72 or 73 languages. Um, what are we being diverse about? So we're being diverse about, for first of all, probably gender. So making sure that we have 
you know, we wouldn't have 50-50 in terms of females, but we're really striving to get as close to 50% of our fe of females in, in all of the roles. In fact, in my own um, team, so we have, I sell, as I said, into the UK. Um, so I have account executives that are selling over the phone to our customers. Um, and I purposely wanted to get 50-50. And I'm delighted to say that we have 50% females um, and 50% male. That's not the norm. Obviously, the big thing for us is our mission in the, the company is to empower every individual and organisation on the planet to achieve more. That's a huge lofty goal, but we, we live it day in, day out. And we're all about reflecting every individual and organisation on the planet. So that means cultural diversity, gender, age, um, LGBT, everything we want to reflect. So if you're trying to empower everybody, you need to look like everybody. And, and how difficult is that um, as uh, somebody who hires? How difficult is that to keep front of mind all the time? So you have to be deliberate about it. It's very easy to slip into, OK, this is the right person and they'll, you know, we can bring them in. But if you want to have gender diversity, you know, we, I purposely had to say, right, to two of my managers, we need to stop now. We have enough males. We need to go after females. Let's go out into the market. And it may not always be easy, particularly if you think about in the engineering and in the STEM areas. It's very difficult to find many, many females. So you have to be deliberate. So you have to search and go out there. And it's all about you're always hiring. So it's not just because you have a job, but you're always looking for people. So, you know, when I was in college, we always talked about ABC, always be closing. We talk about ABH, always be hiring. Fantastic. <laughs> Can I add a bit there about sure. the, the granny question? That's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that question about, you know, describe this for your granny or describe it for a child because it is really so important. And I think the diversity piece, it is simply about differences. Diversity is just about differences. And, and Christine mentioned them all, whether that's age, race and ethnicity, gender, but it's also about what we call cognitive diversity or thought diversity. So different thinking styles, personality types, perspectives. And ultimately you're looking for people to come from all of those mm -hmm. different strands so that you get that thought diversity into your business, into your organisation, so that you come up with better ideas, better products, better services, because you have all of these people coming from the different perspectives. But why does diversity and inclusion always come together? And I think the inclusion part sometimes gets forgotten. And that inclusion is about, you know, people being able, feeling valued, that they are valued, but they also feel valued so they can actually achieve and contribute their full potential to that organisation. And obviously, if you get people feeling that, then again, you've got better engagement, better products, better services. So let's go back to this non-explosion <laughs> yes. in, in, in the national landscape. Yeah. Can we have a little chat about where the country is? Yeah. So Ireland, fantastic little country, uh, agile, able to latch onto an idea and run with it if, if the will is there. Yeah. So, so what is happening in the wider landscape in Ireland in diversity and inclusion? Well, hot off the press. Um, so we have, we do conduct a report um, of diversity and inclusion survey report across the island of Ireland annually. So this is the third report out. Um, it's, it's 2019. We've just launched it um, this month. And it's called Everybody In. And it's that exact idea, which is that if diversity and inclusion is to be our competitive advantage as a nation, then we need everybody in. 
So it's not enough for just Microsoft and EY and all of the bigger organisations. Actually, we need all organisations to be contributing their bit if we are to have this success as a nation. So what is that state of the nation? And I'll kind of throw out a few of the themes is, but the kind of general narrative for the last three years has been, and we have 150 organisations completing this survey across all sectors, all sizes of organisations, but there's a disconnection between what organisations say about diversity and inclusion and what they're actually doing about it. So I do joke and say diversity inclusion is a little bit like Christmas. It's very hard to be against it. Why would you be against diversity and inclusion? But when it comes to actually investment and what you're prepared to do, that's a slightly different story. So in a hopeful way, 100% of organisations now say that diversity and inclusion is vital to business performance. Now, that's a really big statement, I think, vital to business performance. But yet, only 16% of those organisations are actually measuring the impact. About a half have got a strategy and 31% spend 0p on diversity and inclusion. Which, so which is an indicator of where the issue sits on a business priority list. Yeah. And in a sea of competing priorities, it is very difficult for diversity and inclusion to compete, but it has to compete. So people, therefore, do need to understand that business case. Why would I invest my time? Why would I invest those resources in diversity and inclusion? And so, Christine, leadership really, I always say it's big L, little L, right? So mm -hmm. there's leadership from the top, but it's personal leadership within the organisation as well. And and you must see that in Microsoft. If if, if you truly are living um, this policy within the organisation, how does that play out on a day-to-day -day basis? So I would say, in, on, I would go back a little bit just on Microsoft. So on the 4th of February 2014, we had a change of leader um, in Microsoft. Um, so Satya Nadella came in and with that, the change in the organisation started and it was cultural transformation. So we, we went into what we call growth mindset so that we're always learning, we're always listening. We're not the big dog, we're not the big 800 pound gorilla um, that we would have been deemed to be in the past. So we have Can to I show... just ask you, I'm going to cut across you there. How long did that change take to manifest? I would say it's still going on. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that is done. We are, we're still in but the when, process. When did you start to see the effects of that I would say the from, right from the get-go. Okay. Right from the get-go with that change, this humility um, showing that you know, from the top and it was coming all the way down. And I think that's really interesting that it was pretty much instantaneous mm. because, uh, you know, I, I feel diversity and inclusion as a, as a tagline is almost wrong. This is about the culture of an mm -hmm. organisation. Mm -hmm. and, and to hear that a culture can, can change mm -hmm. almost overnight with a new leader mm -hmm. means that leaders do have the power to make a positive impact. I mean, I think there's a short game and there's a longer game um, and it, you need to get those quick wins in quickly so that there's a momentum in, in organisations. And that's really important that people see that change quite quickly. But at the same time, um, you know, the programme that we run, it's called a transformation programme, a DNI transformation programme. And we are working with lots of clients. Um, you know, I shouldn't say that there has been a complete lack of explosion. <laughs> there are lots of clients who have wanted to kind of had this transformational change. And, it, and it's designed to make changes in systems, in structures in processes, so in your recruitment, in your 
you're hiring, in your brand, in the data that you're collecting. So that if Sonia or Christine walks out the door, it doesn't walk out with them as that champion. And the changes that you're making in those recruitment and, and whatever those processes might be, that is a longer game because that does take time. So I think there's kind of short term gains to be had and people need to see that momentum. But at the same time, if you want cultural change, you need to accept that, that those system and structural changes will take a while. But you also have to start and it's where you have to make the change if you want it to be cultural and if you want it to be impactful over over a long period. I know that Better Balance, Better Business are about to uh, publish targets for female leadership in organisations in Ireland. And there is always a, a big uh, argument about quotas. And I suppose coming down the line, um, you know, there's a lot of lot of talk about gender equality at the moment. That, that's sort of the icebreaker. There's there's so much more to come um, in, in its wake. Um, and I think the only reason for that is is gender is 50% of the population are women and, and, and that's a big driver. Um, can you see a world where, Christine, I'll ask you, where we have um, targets or quotas for, for all these numbers across uh, DNI and organisations? So I would say in the past I was against quota. Um, but, you know, Olivia said it earlier, if you don't measure, it's not going to change. So I think we have to measure um, and I think it is the right thing to do. Um, I hear people that are against it and, and I understand their reasoning, but, but it's taking a long, long time to get to where we are currently and we really have to measure. And I think having a measure of 50-50, you say, to reflect you know, 50-50 in terms of our gender balance, um, we have to push and strive towards that. And do you think a target can be as effective as a quota within an organisation? I think so. Okay. I, we, it's like everything. If you, It's like sales. You measure the, your target. This is what you're working towards. Um, so if you don't have a target, you're not going to get there. So I feel having a target is absolutely essential to get there. We set goals and objectives for every other mm. area of business. So for sales, for revenue, if you're in the public service, there are still goals and objectives that you have to meet. So why are we not doing it for diversity and inclusion? And we have to, and that's that part of it sliding off the side of the desk in that can't compete in the sea of competing priorities. If there's no target, if it's not part of people's roles, if it's not embedded into their psyche, then it's not going to happen. Who is doing it right? Who has created a culture where this has been normalised, in your opinion? I mean, there are lots of organisations who are doing it really well. I mean, obviously, I I probably have a job because a lot of organisations were coming to EY saying, you know, you do this really well. How do you go about that? And they were coming to advice for advice. And so we set up the um, advisory business and started to advise companies. Um, I would say that the financial services sector are beginning to really move again because the central bank has been really driving that. There's been a lot of regulatory change in um, the UK and because we have a lot of parent companies, the financial services companies have a lot of parent companies in the UK, that has driven it here as well. So I think one of the biggest sea changes has been in the financial services sector, again, because there has been that kind of regulation and central bank really driving that agenda on gender diversity, but also on unthought diversity. Just before I move back to you, Christine, I have to ask, because I'm kind of fascinated, how, how do you uh, develop a hiring policy for inclusive 
inclusivity of thought and and uh, how do you even begin to do that? Yeah, and it's a really good question. How do we even measure that diversity of thought? And I would say we're in kind of the early stages of how we do that. Yes, there are lots of personality tests, so you want to make sure that you have people coming from those kind of different perspectives. Um, but ultimately, it's about putting, I think if you put on that diversity lens on your recruitment programme and make sure you've got people coming from different backgrounds, different educational backgrounds. Maybe they're not all coming from universities. Maybe some of them are coming through apprenticeships. People are coming from different social backgrounds, different race, different ethnicity, people who have travelled, that different perspective idea. And if you get people coming from those different strands of diversity, then you are likely to have that thought diversity. Unconscious bias is a huge part mm-hmm. of this. And I did ask the question, who does it right? Um, Olivia gave very little away in terms of names, apart from EY. But I, Microsoft do a very, very good job mm-hmm. on this. So uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the programmes that are rolled out. So we have a diversity and inclusion, um, obviously, strategy. I talked earlier about everybody in the organisation from the top right down through the organisation as a diversity and inclusion, what we call a core priority, that you have to personalise. Um, Olivia talked earlier about diversity. Diversity is easy. You can hire all the ver- you know the diverse people. It's really the inclusion. How do you make people feel that they belong? Mm. And belonging is a big piece of inclusion. People's voices are heard. Some people are introverts. Somebody, some people are extroverts. Making sure, even in meetings, are you hearing everybody's mm. perspective? Um, also, in times of stress, are you looking out for each other? This is the month of you know, mental health awareness. So we're having different conversations with people um, across the organisation around it's OK not to be OK. Um, and managers looking out for the signs and also looking out that managers are OK. Mm. Go back to me. Go back to this, this personal imperative mm. piece. Talk, talk to me in a little bit more detail about that. So it's, it's everybody was given this task to... Diversity and inclusion is a core tenant of our, you know, our existence in, in Microsoft. Um, again, I talked about you have to reflect your customers. So the diversity within your customer base, you have to reflect that. So everybody is tasked with how am I going to be more inclusive? How do I help with bringing, making sure that this is an inclusive culture? So if I take my um, diversity and inclusion, how I personalised it, So I've got 50-50 gender diversity on my team. One of the things that I'm committing to is to continue to have 50-50. So if somebody leaves, making sure that we continue and maintain that balance. The other thing is having skip level engagement with people that don't report directly to me, but report to my managers. What is skip level engagement? So so for example, if, if Olivia reports to me and you report to Olivia, I will have a meeting with you okay. on a regular basis. And things that I would touch base on with you is how are you feeling? How are you getting on with Olivia? Are you feeling included? Do you think that the organisation is an inclusive organisation? So little you know, conversations like that. Um, and then the other thing that I do is I mention inclusion in every team meeting that we have. And that's something that I've personalised. Um, and it's all about you know, things like, are we listening to everybody? How are people doing in times of stress? Are we open to everybody's perspective? So there are some. So does everybody in Microsoft have a little set of principles by which they live? Yes, and and they're personalised. They personalize They've developed them, them themselves. Yeah, I mean it's it's funny, isn't it? Like all of this discussion really boils down to human kindness and empathy and simple and things. Yeah. Simple things. Absolutely, yeah. embracing the difference that everybody has. You know, just rather than sometimes we would make assumptions. 
let's embrace it as opposed to making and jumping to conclusions. Do we still jump to conclusions? Of course we do. You know, people are human. But catching yourself um, as well so that you are always thinking about how do I, I, I make this um, culture inclusive. And I think you can't really put the genie back in the bottle then. Once, once you're aware of, of this as a mm -hmm. way of living, you, you can't unsee it. Absolutely. But it is, I think, and it is really important as well for smaller organisations to realise that it is those smaller things that absolutely make a difference. And I think the art of, you know, getting to know people personally, it's nearly a lost art form. And particularly as organisations grow very quickly, that can just get lost. But actually, that's still really important. Mm -hmm. And it's still really important to younger people coming into the organisation. After the break, we're going to dive a little bit more into neurodiversity, which is the next phase and the business case for DNI. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Welcome back, Olivia and Christine. Uh, we have spoken a lot about gender, but it's not just about gender. This is a very broad spectrum of diversity that we need to think about. And I was recently at a pre-production meeting for an event, and we have a relay of 15 micro stories um, from the stage. And I slightly nervously asked the question around what is our disability representation, what is our gender represent representation, not really knowing if that was the right thing to even ask, if that made it seem tokenistic, which wasn't the case. How, how do people um, develop a language to discuss diversity? And it's really important, actually, that we don't become so PC that we're afraid to ask those questions, because actually we need to celebrate the diversity that we have in the room. But to celebrate the diversity, you do have to know the diversity that you have in the room or that you have in the business or wherever it is. Um, and a lot of diversity is unseen. So we talked at the top about diversity is simply about differences, those that you see and those that you don't see. So a lot of disabilities are, are not seen. Um, you know, various ethnicities are not seen. So there's lots of elements of diversity that people either choose not to disclose, and that's absolutely fine too, and it's important that people don't have to disclose, but at the same time, we have to still have that curiosity and ask those questions and not to be afraid to ask those questions. So how do we support people to have that language? I think it is important that people realise that that it is a skill and that it is a particular language, but also not to be afraid to ask questions and to ask those questions of those persons if they are transgender, if they have disability, if they are from a different race and ethnicity, to ask questions going, you know, tell me about your background, you know, do you mind if I ask what is the right language to use, what are the correct pronouns to use? We don't have to know by osmosis. We will only know if we ask the questions. And I think if, if you ask them in a, in a respectful way, then people will kind of give you that respectful answer and you will then learn by doing. And so neurodiversity, which mm. is uh, an unseen diversity, I think that is something that is almost uh, a new piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it is very much in that next practice inside space. And I wouldn't like think people to think or organisations to think, oh, here's another thing now that we have to be doing. We weren't thinking about neurodiversity. Um, but we have lots of neurodiverse persons or people who are not neurotypical. What is neurodiverse? Exactly. So it <laughs> tends to be people who are, maybe they might be on the autism spectrum, Asperger's, have ADHD, dyspraxia, those types of conditions. And they tend to think differently. 
And if you think about what are we aspiring to get into organisations through the gender diversity, through cultural diversity, it is that thought diversity. And here is a cohort of people who think differently and yet 85% of neurodiverse people are unemployed. So it is a completely untapped market. And they have, you know, uh, neurodiverse persons tend to think in, a, in quite a particular way and have great attention and focus on detail. So you'll find maybe neurodiverse persons working in data analytics, in forensics, in fraud. And as Christine will tell you, they are hard people to come by. So it is that untapped market. And there's lots of brilliant examples. We had an example in the US where we had a 29-day manual process in, a, in an audit process. And through thinking about it differently, neurodiverse persons that we employed, and we, we employ neurodiverse persons now, 45 in a programme, going to 90 this year and um, through centres of excellence and, and innovation they brought that down to a two-day process wow simply by thinking about it differently christine you're furiously nodding your head yes, there <laughs> so it is fascinating area I, absolutely, absolutely. Fascinating. so you've obviously got experience so we have an autism program that we've just recently launched actually in ireland now it has, has existed maybe two years already in the states um, and it's really tapping into this um, potential that exists um, particularly those who are autistic Autistic, um, because the attention to detail that um, these individuals have is phenomenal. So, for example, we've hired some data scientists, um, we've hired some software engineers, um, content writers, um, again, to you know open up the world to or open us up to these people to, to do uh, to come and work with us in a very specific in a way. very specific way. And it's again back to embracing the difference and embracing these differences and the attention to detail that, that these people bring is you know something that other people don't have. So having that um, and having them in the workforce is absolutely um, essential. Uh, and to be clear, they're working as part of blended teams. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we do invest heavily in, in how we hire them mm. because the hiring has to be very different. It isn't about, you know, if you think about bringing them into an interview similar to any interviews, no, we have a very different programme. Um, in fact, we would do it over a couple of days, get them used to um, the, the organisation. So we do it very differently and we train our managers on inclusive hiring. How do so we go, go about that? So go back a step. At the sourcing process then, to bring these people into a pipeline for interview, what does that look like? So we would have people that would go out, you know, we launched the programme um, out, you know, very broadly and we got hundreds of CVs um, and then we would have people within the organisation that would go through the, those CVs and, and review them and have been trained in what they should look for and then reach out to individuals and we bring them in, to, in for interview. As I said, the interview is very different to other interviews um, and then we also have to train our managers. How do you deal with people on the autistic um, spectrum? How do you make them feel included? How do the rest of the team make them feel included? So there's a lot that you have to invest in in order to, um, to make it successful. We're early days um, and we're learning as we go and we've taken a lot of um, you know, knowledge from what they did in the US um, and brought it here to make it successful. Fantastic. Because in some instances it is smaller accommodations that make all the difference. It might be noise cancelling mm -hmm. earphones, it might be having a set desk and, and that familiarity rather than having, let's say, you know, come in and find your own desk type thing. But I think that interview process, it's really important to ram that home for us. It, it's a two-week assessment. Um, so persons come in and they do a two-week assessment and they go through a whole big process. And again, it's to find out, you know, can you manage at work and, you know, can you be integrated into, you know, whatever the teams are, even if they have those inclusive um, behaviours. Um, but that 
that that um, interview process is, is really, really important. But, you know, talking of human stories at the end of it, you know, we have people who have been told by their own parents that they need to they live in a world where they just won't have a job. And if they do have a job, it will be a very menial role. And these are people of the highest intelligence. And at the end of that two-week process, when you are giving people the news that they are going to get a job in EY, they are going to get a job in data analytics, in fraud, in forensics, whatever it might be, but it is a very meaningful job. There are a lot of tears That's extraordinary. on both sides of the house. <laughs> I bet. And, and we have actually an example in the US where a mother wrote and thanked the company and how she had seen the difference in her son and now that her son felt valued. So if you think about diversity and inclusion and particularly inclusion, it's feeling valued, feeling you belong to something. Um, and she wrote to just say thank you that now her son is, is a different person because he has, he's valued, he belongs to something and he's in a, in a job and he feels included. So there's a place for everybody. They just Absolutely. have to find it. Exactly. Yeah. And, we, and sometimes we have to create it. And we have it. to create it differently. And the same environment doesn't suit everybody. Talk to us a little bit about In Motion. So this is a series of events that you are running. You've, you've done one in Dublin recently. Yes. I think there's uh, events coming up in Dublin, uh, in Cork and in Belfast. Cork and Belfast is to come. Yeah. So what do you cover in those events? So again, this is the third year and we launched the report at that as well. So they come hand in hand um, and they are about, I guess, you know, providing a little bit of thought leadership, but really inspiring and encouraging organisations to go further on that DNI journey through inspiration by human connection and networking. Um, so each year we cover, you know, different um, strands of diversity, as we called them earlier. This year, the focus was very much on inclusion and um, driving that focus on inclusion through gender diversity, which we touched on, through the cultural diversity, which, you know, um, uh, Christine spoke about. And we looked at that from both an employee and an employer perspective, um, which I think is really important to do. And, Absolutely, and, and to see because it one side of the story is no good, right? Absolutely. And could be very different, you know, and we need to learn from kind of both sides as, you know, this is what we need as an employer, but actually this is what we need as employees. And there was some great kind of practical tips at coming out of that. We also looked at... What were the key ones? Well, this was the lady who delivered them. Ah! Yeah, so, so she knows. <laughs> one which is just weather. Um, so the two people we had, one was from Egypt and, and the other person had come from um, Pakistan. So obviously the weather is something that they have to adapt to. We can't change that. And um, the big thing was just around housing um, and how, so we know we have a lot to do. Um, we do have, you know, uh, accommodation people that will help people when they come over um, because people move over here and some people bring their families. So what are the best schools? Where should they go? And um, there's some of the things we do. We also have culture days. So last week we had a culture day for Middle East and Africa. So understanding people from the Middle East and Africa, understanding what Ramadan is, being more inclusive of, you know, this Ramadan started, I think, just today. And mm. um, we sent out a note or it started yesterday saying, everybody, just be aware of your colleagues who are going through Ramadan, you know, that they can't eat, they can't drink during the day. Um, so they may be a little bit tired um, they may be a little Slash bit... Slash cranky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, give them the space. Um, equally, you may know that they're going to prayer a lot more often. So we have a facility where we have a prayer room where they can go. Um, and all of that. So there's just some of the things that we do. Um, also, it is when people move, having a buddy. So having a buddy system to help you. How, where do I go in Dublin? 
you know, where should you not go? Um, where are the schools, as I talked to? And, and also just having some social events so that they feel, OK, you know, I can go out, I can make, meet new people. And we do that on a regular basis. And in my experience, the buddy probably gets as much out of the experience as, uh, as the candidate. Uh, absolutely. Because, you know, you learn. In fact, one thing that we do have as well in Microsoft, which is slightly different to cultural diversity, but it is generational diversity. So the millennials mm. um, and, you know, dinosaurs like myself. So we have re reverse mentoring. And I have somebody who has mentored me in the past who's a millennial. And it's just so enriching. You learn so much from each other. Um, and it is that, you know, it's not a unilateral, it's a bilateral um, relationship. And it really, really is enriching. Fantastic. Christine had a gorgeous phrase on stage, which was come as you are and then do what you love. Beautiful. And that's a great one Everybody around the should inclusion. aspire to that. Yeah, Absolutely. That was a really yeah. good one. And it is about, you know, no matter who you are, where you're from, what your sexual orientation is, just come as you are and do what you love. And we're all about, if you make an, a, a culture inclusive, people can do their best work. So, so I suppose that is all the really beautiful, human, warm and fuzzy stuff. Um, it's so much more than that. I'm being facetious, of course. Talk to us now about the business case, because this isn't just the right thing to do. It's a good thing for business to do. Yeah. And, I, and people are motivated by different elements of that. Some people are really passionate about diversity and inclusion and they're motivated because this is the right thing to do. This is the, from an equal rights, from a societal rights perspective. Um, and that is true. And I think we need to not kind of put that under the carpet as in this is still the right thing to do, but it is also the business smart thing to do. And I think that's fairly well accepted. And for different organisations in different sectors, it's probably different hooks for all organisations. I think the one that brings us together is that piece around talent acquisition and talent retention. So we know that certainly in Ireland and even globally, there's a big war on talent out there. It is hard to get really good people. And if you have a, you know, a diverse organisation, you are blowing open the pool of talent that is available to you. But diversity attracts diversity. So if you get diversity into your organisation, you're going to be much more likely to attract wider diversity into the organisation. And the retention part, the inclusion part, is really part for that retention. So as all hirers would tell you, it is expensive to hire people into the organisation. So when you have gone to that expense of hiring people into the organisation, the inclusion part is really important to retain those people that you have in the first instance. So I think that talent acquisition and retention is probably one of the big drivers for the business case. Um, but for other organisations, particularly if you have a big consumer market, and Christine talked about this, it's a reflecting the diversity of your consumer market. Um, so to be your customer, to know your customer, you have to be your customer. So therefore, you need your customers in your organisation. You need people who are from different markets, different emerging markets, different races, different ethnicities, different genders, etc. Um, and then probably in the financial services sector in particular, I think the risk excellence, what we call risk excellence, is really important. So you want an environment where people feel that they can put up their hand and say, I think there's something wrong here. And the central bank would probably argue that that didn't happen in 2008 in the financial crisis. Well, probably better still now, we want people putting up the same hand and say, I think there's a better way of doing this. And that's connected to your innovation. And that's that really big driver for it, for that idea of having better services, better ideas, better products. And it's back to why do we want that thought diversity in the business? And then it's also obviously about team collaboration and leadership and all of those pieces. But there are some people who are like, mm, yeah, fine, but that's just a bit amorphous for me. And they want to know what's the bottom line. 
all sorts of studies out there. The McKinsey study is probably the most cited study, which is companies in the top quartile for racial and ethnic diversity are 35% more likely to have higher financial returns. And companies in the top quartile for gender diversity are 15% more likely to have higher returns. So it is about bottom line as well, as well as all of those pieces, the, the talent and acquisition, which also costs you money. So have you seen in terms of performance uh, in Microsoft globally, I suppose, what sort of uh, impacts has this had? So I can take my own team as an example where I talk about a 50-50 in terms of 50 female, 50% um, male for our account executives. Um, And we're selling into the UK um, and it's all over the phone. So we're selling cloud over the phone to our customers. Um, And what I'm seeing is double digit growth. Um, So we've done seven quarters now and double digits. I can't go into all the details, but for double digit growth, which is phenomenal, particularly. And so layered on top of the gender diversity is also the neurodiversity uh, ethnic diversity, LGBT, all the other stuff. And the background. I mean, I've got somebody on the team who a couple of years ago was selling suits and is now selling cloud. So we talk about higher... I guess if you can sell a suit, you can sell cloud. Yeah, and you know that. <laughs> I totally do. <laughs> um, but it's also about you You hire um, for people's, you know, ambition for, um, you know, how they... J- just about how they are and, the, you know, how they interact. And the skills will follow. Um, so we've got that background, so gender or background um, diversity that you talked about earlier. Um, and you also hear, I mean, I... And, you know, I hear the people on the phone and how they engage with customers and they're very receptive to Irish accents um, um, as well, which is really, you know, it's great to to hear that, um, you know, from the the UK, they love um, engaging with our our Irish um, account executives. Um, I would also say... There's some great new Irish accents out there as well. Yes, there there are. Adopting the Irish accents, no matter where you come from. But I would say as well, problem solving and innovation, where you have you know, different perspectives. Um, you know, you talked about that process that you had, which was X number of days, um, and now you brought it down to two days. What we see is with all of the, the, the you know, the, the gender diversity or the diversity that we have in the organisation, problem solving is so much more effective because people have different perspectives. Then when it comes to innovation, coming up with new ideas, again, with the different perspectives, and if you listen and tap in to that diversity, you have, you can come up with some really, really creative um, ideas. And in fact, our CEO, when he started out back in um, 2014, one of the first things he did was he, we had a hackathon uh, and basically it was looking at what are the problems that we want to solve for. Um, and one of the teams that won was for somebody who suffers that they have no mobility and it was how can we help them use our software using their eyes. Um, and that won um, our hackathon and, and our CEO then in, invested time and, and energy into to making that real for um, that person and indeed for people um, who do have that um, disability. That's fantastic. We, we have an audience um, that are uh, peppered with future entrepreneurs, business founders, people at the beginning of, of their journey um, as, as business people. What tips would you give those people in terms of how to build the right culture from the beginning? I would say the first thing for me is being deliberate about it. Um, It doesn't happen overnight. You've got to be deliberate. So 
and thinking about, no matter what size your organization is, think about your customer base and what you want to reflect to your customer base. Um, and equally for people within the organization, there's a saying that says, I can't be what I can't see. So if you have all the same type of people in the organization and you're trying to hire and retain people, they're looking at your organization and saying, I can't be what I want to be in that organization, so why would I work there? Mm -hmm. So it's small things. And it's even, you know, when you're hiring, if you're looking to hire a female, don't have an all-male panel in the interview loop. Um, again, if you want to hire somebody who's a millennial, don't have all people of a certain vintage um, interviewing them. So it's small things. It's not huge things. It's just those small things. Um, and once you start to think about it and you start that um, process, it'll become natural and it filters down through the organisation. Fantastic. Olivia, some, some free EY advice some for all our entrepreneurs <laughs> listening. <laughs> I think the most important thing to do is start. Um, and I think when you're starting a business, it's really easy for diversity and inclusion to, to slide off the table and think, oh, well, why would I be thinking that when I have to get, you know, all of these other elements of business set up? But actually, if you start it and if you embed it from the get go, it'll be so much, it'll just simply become part of those systems, structures, how you do business. And it's if d is to be a success, it has to be part of how you do business. It has to be embedded into the culture of the organisation. So start with it, I think. But I would also say to adopt a kind of holistic and strategic approach. Um, so people might kind of think, I'll just, I'll do gender now and then I'll move on to LGBT and then I'll move on to abilities or disabilities. And actually it needs to be more holistic than that. And people come with intersectionalities. People don't just come as a woman or as an LGBT person. They are all of the above and lots of different things. So to think about it in a very, very holistic way, but to think about it strategically. And by that, I mean to have a strategy or have a plan and have an implementation plan and have persons who are responsible for making that plan happen, just like every other element of business. Ladies, it has been fantastic talking to you. The future is bright. Thank, Thank you, you so you. much. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks for listening to Joe's Architects of Business in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Thanks to everybody here at Maximum Studios and, of course, as ever, to my guests, Olivia and Christine. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the show to get a brand new episode into your feed for free every fortnight. I'm Sonia Lennon. Talk soon. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs.